If you're in your Bibles, you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah is the first of what we call the major prophets. Uh, the major prophets and the minor prophets are known greatly by this distinction. Here's the wonderful distinction between the major and the minor prophets, and it is this, the size of the books which they wrote. Isaiah is the first, what we call the major prophets. He lived about 700 years before Jesus, but he's the most quoted prophet of the New Testament, principally because he wrote and uh, prophesied so much about the coming Messiah. So Jesus quotes him, and uh, he's quoted more than any other prophet throughout the New Testament. We are studying Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and uh, I'm going to read that for you tonight, and uh, then we'll continue on. Tonight is the second part of a single lesson uh, that we cut short last week, so the, the singers would have plenty of time. And we will jump right in back at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. The experience of Isaiah calling, being called and his commission that he had from the Lord himself has a number of lessons for us, but we're going to just break it down pretty simply into three simple ones, and I'll give you the first two that we recap from last week. The first is that God is holy. We said last week that holiness, not in just the sense of moral perfection, not just in the sense of always being right, but in, in true goodness, holiness, righteous, and purity, utterly whole, utterly righteous, sanctified, unique, and unlike any other. As the prophet Samuel said, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you, no rock like our God. Uh, and the example of that was in a human, in a created world, the closest we can think of something like the sun And the closer you get to it, uh, the more intense the experience is. And there's a point at which you get too close, no matter how protected you are, no matter how uh, shielded you are, you're going to burn up. Talk about the probe that NASA sent out. You know, it's about three million miles from the sun. It's going to be done. That's still quite a a ways. Um, in, in, In our unholiness, in our 
the, the filth and the, the, the impurity of this world, we, we can't even begin to fathom the level of God's holiness. And, and when we, all the people who had the, uh, a sort of a holy encounter like Isaiah did, uh, come to this point where they realize that they're in the wrong place. That they, it's not just a matter of, like, I can't get too close to God, but if I, if I, if I get any closer, he'll, he'll consume me with his holiness, and you'll be dead. And I mean, not just dead, but all of the dead you will be when his holiness consumes you. So Isaiah understood very much that he was in the wrong place because God was holy. His second understanding, conclusion, is what we talked about last week. The second point, we are unholy. Woe to me, he cried. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, the closer that you get to God, uh, the more you realize not just how holy he is, but how unholy you are not. We said that that was a a large portion of the Old Testament was designed to, to show us how much of a distance there was between us and the Lord. It's, it's hard to even fathom on our level. Uh, Leviticus 10.10, you have to distinguish between the holy and the common. You and I are in the latter category. We are the common. We are the everyday. We are the earthly flesh. Uh, wh- however you want to describe it. But, but that level to which we are removed from God is infinite because God is infinitely holy. People forget the holiness of God. It's kind of where we ended last week. Uzzah, who reached out to grab the ark of God, he forgot the holiness of God. And even though we, unholy common people, say, wasn't he right, trying to just do a good thing? No, we, he was unholy because people before him had said, no, we, when we bring the, cart, the, the ark of the covenant around, instead of using the poles that God told us to build to hold the ark, we're going to build a cart. And to our mind, that seems right. But, see, that was an irreverent act, and it led to more irreverence. So when the oxen stumbled and the cart stumbled and the ark tried to fall, and Uzzah, a man of unclean lips and unclean heart, unholy, reached out for the holy present, the, the, the place where God resided, he was killed instantly because he forgot the holiness of God. Nadab and Abihu made the same mistake. They, they failed to take seriously the holiness of God. Their disregard for the utter holiness of God led to their deaths. And now, now maybe in small portion, you understand the fear and the terror in Isaiah's voice and in his heart and probably mostly in his soul. He was an unholy man in a holy place where he should not be. There was holy fear there. And, and we said last week there's a twist to this story. It wasn't just an unholy man realizing he's unholy, uh, which is something that spiritually mature people do at some point. Something unique happened in the story, and that's where we pick up tonight. <clears throat> something different happened to Isaiah. God is holy. We're unholy. So God gave holiness to Isaiah and ultimately to us. Isaiah is the messianic prophet. He is the one that predicted the forecoming Messiah, the holiness of God coming to us. Sometimes you'll hear uh, Isaiah 53 read. We all want to turn over there because this kind of helps us understand a little bit more. that We're talking more than just uh, burning coals here. Isaiah 53. <clears throat> 
Surely, this is uh, verse 4, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. See, Isaiah starts his whole book with this, this idea, this verse, Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, let us reason together. Which is not a great translation, but it, it's sort of like, come now, let's settle the matter. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Which is something that's impossible for sinners to accomplish. For unholy people to become holy on their own is an impossibility. It's never been something that we could do. No matter how much good, no matter how closely we kept the law, we, we might as well have been 3.8 million miles from the holiness of God because we could not get there on our own. And this is Isaiah's message about the coming Messiah, that there is going to be holiness given to you. This holiness will not come from you. It's not, you know, it's not just this, this idea that you know, holiness is us Climbing the ladder, you know, step by step, like step one, baptism, and then, you know, step two, three, four, you know, build that ladder as high as you want. You'll never get there on your own. This is what Isaiah realizes, and God says, through the, seraph, uh, through the seraphim here, your sin's going to be atoned. Your guilt is going to be taken away. And that didn't come from Isaiah. It came from the holiness of God who brought forth the coal and touched his lips, which sounds like a terribly painful holy experience. But th- this, this picture here is so crucial and important for our, our understanding of what it means to be holy before the Lord and why it's so important. The holy seraphim, you know, you've got ho- the holiness of God. You've got the unholy, the uncleanness of Isaiah and then this holy seraphim, who just his, or her, or it, uh, is, their entire job is just to, to pronounce and call out and to profess day after day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, the earth is full of his glory. I mean, that's all they do is just pronounce that again and again and again. And one of these seraphim flies over and sears Isaiah's mouth with a holy coal, and he says, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. You see, normally, unholy things defile holy things. So this is what so much of the old law is all about, is how to make yourself holy. Remember when the presence of God came down the mountain and Moses was giving the law and all of that? And God had some specific commands. These people need to sanctify themselves, purify. They need to, to stop doing some things and they need to set themselves apart because the presence of God is coming down. And the holy doesn't interact with the unholy very well. And... Even amongst, even not just between God and the people, but even amongst each other, a a lot of the cleanliness rules and the hygiene rules had everything to do with their holiness 
and making sure that they weren't defiled. So a leper cried out, unclean, unclean, so that he or her, he or she would not defile those who were clean. Because that's how uh, bacteria and, and infection and all of that works. It, it's the, the unclean that infects the clean. And so um, several years ago, uh, you know, some, some pretty bad bugs were going around. And they put up all of these hand sanitizing stations, right? Because they're not worried about how clean and pure everybody is that's coming in. They're, they're, all they have to be worried about is the one person who's sick and who isn't holy enough to stay home and comes to church and shake hands with everybody and gets a bunch of people sick who shouldn't be sick. Those went up at... Obviously, hospitals and places like that, but they were more uh, commonplace around schools and churches and places where lots of people were because unholy things infect and, and cause holy things to be unclean. The holy, or the unholy defiles the holy. So when you come into the presence of God, it was, you gotta, you gotta, Pay attention, clean yourself up, sanctify yourself, and get ready because you're in the holiness of God. And you, we can't have the unholiness of you defiling the holy presence of God. It would destroy him. It's why Adam and Eve had, had to leave the garden where they walked with God. But Isaiah's vision is different. Instead of being destroyed by God's holiness, he is transformed by it. This time it's reversed. It's not that the unholy defiles the holy. It's that the holy reaches out and sanctifies and transforms that which is unholy. And that's, that's the point. God's holiness always transforms uh, I said uh, Isaiah spoke of Jesus, so I want to I go and talk about Jesus for just a minute because the one that, you know, at the end of all that, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. I mean, he, had, he was com- being commissioned by God to profess the good news of God. And in my mind, it was this. Unholy people don't have to worry anymore because God has a plan to impart holiness to you. And they didn't fully understand that, and I'm not sure even we fully get that. But God understood that was the only way that we could be made holy. Turn to John chapter 114. Um, I know it's not in Isaiah, but talking about Jesus, and I want to get a little more specific on what Jesus or what Isaiah was prophesying about. Jesus is the holiness of God. He is a glimpse of glory. Isaiah had this vision of, of God's glory and his power, and what, what was his reaction to that? Whoa, 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 I'm in the wrong spot here. This is, this, is, this is not a place where people like me belong. And God doesn't destroy him. The holiness of God doesn't destroy him. He got a glimpse of glory, and holiness was imputed to him. And holiness would be available to all of us through Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word 
became flesh. Dr. Baird opened this up for me on Wednesday night when he spoke here. And he was talking about the word, the logos, which is defined as word, but it's not, it's, it's not just word, it's word, it's, it's pure, the pureness of the word of God, it's the reason of God, it's the intellect of God, it's the, it's, it's the presence of God, it's the very essence, the logos of God. John says, the logos of God. This is what Isaiah experienced, except he only experienced the first two words, the word. John introduces the word in a different way. Not in a holy vision, not in flying seraphs, not in holy coals. He introduces it like this. The word became flesh. I can't even get my mind around that. Can you? I mean, how did this even work? The incarnation, the, 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 the very presence of God in human form <sighs> became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Full of grace and truth. The incarnation did not make Jesus unclean or unholy. He was holy coming into a world, a dwelling place of unholy. And though he dwelt among us, he was not defiled. So Jesus, being from a holy God, did exactly what happened to Isaiah, except it happened in human form. He changed unholy people. And his holiness, his holiness transformed everyone that came into contact with him. His holiness didn't just, people didn't just go, wow, look at that. I mean, it changed. Remember the transfiguration of Jesus. when He went up there, Moses and Elijah. And the scripture says he was transformed. He was he was made into his, his, his clothes had the appearance of light. He's transformed. Did, did Jesus then barricade himself in a holy castle and hire some human seraphims to pronounce his holiness? He rightly could have, but he didn't. He came into our world and he dwelt among us. And his holiness impacted all of us. It impacted the lepers, remember? The, the ones who had to say, unclean, unclean. And there's this, this beautiful, powerful story where Jesus touches the leper. The priests couldn't do that. The people couldn't do that because they understood that the holy things are made unclean and are defiled by unholy things. And yet here's Jesus touching and uh, someone who's been declared legally unholy, unclean. But what happens? Does, does the unclean defile the clean? Does the unholy defile the holy? No, it goes exactly in reverse. Exactly what happened to Isaiah. It went in the opposite direction. His holiness transformed everything in which it came in touch with. A woman with a, a, an issue of bleeding. And we understand legally uh, she was uh, declared unholy. And in such a tragic, terribly cruel time. I mean, she had went to doctors. She tried to have this problem fixed. And she didn't even... She didn't... 
The way she approaches Jesus is one of humiliation and embarrassment. She just dare not anyone, anyone else talk about this issue that I have. That Even the doctors, the smartest people of the day, said, you're just unholy. Can you imagine women having to deal with this your whole life and no one being able to fix this? And she comes in humility and disgrace and understanding her position. And she reaches out to touch the hem of the garment. And what happens in the story? The power goes, I don't see, specifically says the power, but it goes out from Jesus. He's in the crowd. He's surrounded by people. And he's like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. And Jesus understood something happened there. Something happened that didn't normally happen. The power flew out of him, and it wasn't a, a willful decision. Something happened when the holy came into the presence of the unholy. The power flowed toward that which was unholy and declared defiled by the law. Even dead Lazarus, even a dead man, cannot escape the power and the transformation of the holiness dwelling in flesh. Instead, his holiness transformed them into clean and healed and holy and living people. It's, it's the same for you and I. We just don't realize it. When you're in Jesus Christ, Michelle took the this, this step this morning, this afternoon rather, of being in Jesus Christ. And what happens there is what's happened to people of all throughout, all, all 20 centuries. That the, when they're in Jesus Christ, the blood, his blood continually cleanses them from all sin and begins to transform and begin to make you and I something different than we were when we started. You come into contact with Jesus, His power and His holiness still transform yet today. God's holiness flows to us through Jesus. Um, turn to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is speaking of unholy people. Uh, two unholy people to a church has got a whole lot of dysfunction and a lot of sin, quite frankly. He says, do you not know, he says basically here, you're unholy. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, but uh, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Unholy. Okay? He makes a list there. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a list of unholy behaviors and actions. And then he says this, that is what some of you were. And you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Holiness still transforms and changes, and it never, ever leaves us the same. May then we take away one final takeaway for tonight, and that's this. Be holy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, goes at great lengths to talk about the old law, the old way of being holy, the old way of being declared clean, the old way of trying to climb up the ladder to reach the Lord. And he says, listen, you, those of you familiar with the old need to hear about something better because you could never get there under the old. But now, you can get there. 
Not by anything that you've done, but by everything which he has done. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's just not possible. We think that holiness is just something, eh, we talk about it, it's kind of a church world. But the, the writer of Hebrews says, very important, if you don't have it, you cannot see the Lord. You're in Isaiah's position before the, the holy coal moment. To be in God's presence, you need to be holy. But you couldn't do that on your own. Since you couldn't, God sent holiness to make you holy. Jesus is holiness, sent from God to transform you from unholy into holy. Being transformed into the image of his son. You're in the process, you and I, of being transformed and changed. Because the holiness of Jesus always does that. If you are the same person that you have always been, the same person that you were when you started with Christ, it's very likely that you are not in Christ. Because no one comes to Jesus and ever stays the same. That's the power of his holiness And it's not just an optional thing. We're holy because he's holy. And so we respond by being holy because of his holy transformation. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. His holiness will transform your life. It will transform your heart and subsequently the way that you live. But there's one caveat here. He's not going to force the issue. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. See, you, you, there's a point at which you have to choose whether you're going to be holy. And the only way to do that is to be in Jesus. That's it. He's the standard. And if you're in Christ, he begins to change you and transform you into not who you are, but who God has in mind for you to be. So Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You could sit down with Paul, he'd say, Ah, I remember that young kid. I remember Saul. I remember his zealousness. I remember his works. I remember he knew so much, and yet he knew so little. That guy, he's dead. There's a new man made, power, made possible only by Jesus Christ. I no longer live, Paul would say, but Christ lives in me. So one final question for you tonight is, are you holy? And there's only one answer to that, by being in Jesus. And if you're not in Jesus, we can help you with that tonight. We can help you just as we helped Michelle earlier this afternoon. If you're in Jesus, but your life does not look transformed, if it is not changing into the image of God's Son, you need to renew that relationship. We'll be happy to pray with you and for you, help you in any way we can. If you have a need, meet me down front, and we'll pray with you and for you and help you together as we stand and sing.